Murderer's Row is not looking so murderous right now. For the Vegas Golden Knights, two games on this five-game homestand, two wins after the Golden Knights defeated the New York Islanders in a completely different game than what we saw on Thursday night. One goal was scored in total on Saturday night. That goal belonged to Vegas. Welcome back, everybody, to Locked On Golden Knights here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It is now officially Sunday, February 16th, and this is your post-game podcast for the game that happened on Saturday night between the Golden Knights and the New York Islanders, in which the Golden Knights secured their second straight win, their fifth win in eight games, by a final score, I kid you not, of one to nothing. And we will dissect this game in a little bit. First of all, hello again, my friends, my dear friends. I am your host, Danny Webster, and I do appreciate you stopping by for today's episode. Uh, Before we get to the game, uh, usual housekeeping items that we have to get out of the way. Uh, Before we talk any further, if this is the first time you are stumbling upon this podcast, I do welcome you uh, to a daily podcast talking about the Vegas Golden Knights that you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you consume your podcasting. You can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnVGK. You can follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21. Or you can send an email to LockedOnGoldenKnights at gmail.com any way that you seem fit. I appreciate you. So let's uh, let's talk about it. Let's talk about a complete 180 of a game that we witnessed tonight for the Golden Knights after the the wild 6-5 win for Vegas on Thursday against the Blues in which they came back down from 4-2, were down 5-4, tied it, and won it in overtime. I, I said on this pod the other day that was probably the worst defensive game by any team that I've ever seen in T-Mobile Arena in two-plus years of covering this team. It was an awful defensive performance by the Golden Knights, but at the same time, they got the two points. And at the end of the day, getting the two points is really what all that matters in this situation. And you look at a game like tonight, where the Golden Knights get 43 shots on Semyon Varlamov. They allow 19 in total on Marc-Andre Fleury, And yet all it took was one goal, a uh, rebound off the post shot from Riley Smith with 35 seconds left in the second period to give the Golden Knights the 1-0 lead, and then Vegas shut the door from then on there. But what was surprising to me in this game, guys, was not the fact that it was a 1-0 game, but it was how Vegas really dominated this game. We, We talked about how Vegas really struggled in the defensive zone against the Blues on Thursday, and they responded in kind by not not only putting up 43 shots on the Islanders and doing so rather well, getting in the danger areas, trying to make life tough on Varlamov, who was absolutely spectacular for New York tonight, but then to come back after, you know, really a rough night for Malcolm Subban. Well, not, uh, let me clarify, not a rough night for Malcolm Subban, rough night for the defense, allowing five even-strength goals on 24 shots that Malcolm Subban had to fend for his life a couple of times on. To go from that to allowing only 19 shots, but at the same time, the Islanders didn't really get anything dangerous for the for the majority of that game, a complete 180 from what we saw on Thursday, and that was the key to this win. Not only did the Islanders only get 19 shots off, the Golden Knights pounded them in the second period. 
pounded them in the second period. They, they had eight to six edge in shots after the first period. Second period, they pummeled New York 20 to four and then had 15 to nine in the third period. The fact that Vegas was able to sustain that pressure while being very sound in the defensive end, I think was probably the key to this win because shots on goal are very skewed. We know that we know that from watching teams every single time that we watch this team and whatnot. Shots on goal can be very skewed, but it wasn't the fact that they just put up 20. It was the fact that they put up 20 and a lot of them were really trying to make life tough on Varlamov. Some of the shots came from, you know, the point. Some of them came from the high slot. There were a couple of chip-ins that should have gone in. There was one instance where uh, William Carlson in the third period nearly had a goal on a rebound right in front of the net. 71 is going to score a goal on this line at some point, and I think we'll touch on this line in a little bit, in just a little bit. But you look at how Vegas was able to attack the net. They were able to put pressure on Varlamov and they were able to put pressure on the New York D. And when you put enough pressure on that defense, it's going to tire them out as well because you need to rely on their decor to get their forwards going. And when their forwards get going, they're really tough to stop. And Vegas put an emphasis on stopping the Barzal line tonight. I think Barzal only had one shot on goal the entire night. I think the entire Barzal line may have combined for like seven or eight shots. It was, it was a very solid defensive effort by the Golden Knights on on this night it was a fantastic effort and as a result the golden knights are now still actually no they're not now they are still tied with the uh edmonton oilers for second place in the pacific division but now we're only one point back of the vancouver canucks and the golden knights will try to in a sense put the pressure on uh the canucks and the oilers on monday when they welcome the Washington Capitals to T-Mobile Arena, there is never a dull moment when you're talking about the the Capitals versus the Golden Knights, and this one will be no different because Alex Ovechkin did not score again on Saturday night, which means he is still stuck on 698 goals. And wouldn't the narrative just be wonderful? Wouldn't it just be wonderful in the same arena where Alex Ovechkin hoisted the Stanley Cup, the the uh, the uh, pinnacle to his NHL career, the only thing that he needed on his resume to show that he that he would go down as one of the greatest players to ever play this game? In the same building, he hoisted the Stanley Cup. He has a chance to score 700 goals. Narrative, my friend, you are absolutely wonderful. So I wanted to touch on briefly because I'm going to really do my best to make this a very short podcast because it's Saturday going into Sunday. Now, y'all don't want to hear me just talk about this Sunday. No one wants to hear me ramble on about this, but we, we have to get it done here. I, I think it's imperative uh, to make this happen. The new top line, the new top line, the new top line is good, my friends. And I'm not talking about the Stasny line. I'm talking about the Carlson line. And it's the new Carlson line with Pacioretty and Stone. No points on this night for those three, but man, were they good. I, I, I am just... I, <laughs> you never think that when you watch a line, the way that they hum together and how dominant they are, 
Watching them live is a whole different treat. It is absolutely a treat to watch that line go. And I thought this whole time that you, if you can get Marshall with Carlson and Stone, that was going to be your ultimate line. This is your ultimate line right now. Corsi for Carlson, Pacioretty, and Stone tonight was 26 to 11. That's a 70.27% clip. Okay, that, that is ridiculous. Scoring chances, 16-4-6 against tonight. Expected goals, 0.86, 73.25% expected goals. Uh, that, that is ridiculous. Scoring chances, 13-5. to five. Actually, I probably looked at that stat wrong. Scoring chances were actually 13-5 to five against. That, this line is just ridiculous. This is the line that we're going to look at going forward and in, in heading into the playoffs with the utmost expectation. We saw what the Stasny line could do with those two flanking his side last year. I can only imagine what the Carlson line is going to do when he starts getting comfortable in the system. This is only his third game under the under the DeBoer system. He had two assists against the Blues, and he looked really, really good on uh, Saturday night. It's going to be very interesting to see how Carlson kind of continues to adjust because I think at some point we're going to start expecting him to score a little bit more. And tonight he had a couple of chances to where Varlamov just robbed him. And again, it's going to take some time, but you can see when Carlson has the puck, you see the patience for those three. You see how patient they are in how they approach the game. There were a couple of times where Carlson had a chance, especially in the second period, there was a chance where Carlson was in front. Pacioretty found him on the, on the doorstep. And I think Carlson got stopped three times. There was another instance in that same shift where stone uh, kind of threaded the needle to Carlson and just couldn't score. Carlson is going to get his chances. Carlson is going to get his chances with this line because you have to take into account the threat that Stone presents and you have to take into account the threat that Pacioretty presents. For example, I look at the uh, the four-on-three overtime and that eventually led to the Marshall goal uh, on Thursday. When you got Stone operating from the point and you have Pacioretty operating from his office, you have so much room that you can work with for like Marshall or Stasny especially in that situation. But when you have those two who have been as good as anybody this year, especially Stone with his 200-foot game, with the way that he's been a point, nearly a point-per-game player this year, when you have Pacioretty who has been returning to his old Montreal form where he's scoring 30 goals a season, when you have those two operating the way that you do and you have that guy stuck right in the middle where he can not only score, but he can be one of the best playmakers in the game you have him operating with those two, that is a line that is going to be so dangerous come playoff time that I don't think DeBoer will mind running them 20, 21 minutes a night because that is a line that can guarantee you scoring chances. That is a line that can guarantee you solid defensive play in their own zone. That's a line that's going to guarantee you a couple of goals in an important playoff game. It's just the perfect blend of what you're looking for come playoff time. And I think we're starting to see that line just dominate. And and we're and it's only scratching the surface. We gotta remember Carlson's only been playing for three games. It's not like he has been it's not like he's been playing the DeBoer system this whole time. Yeah, he sat in video meetings, yeah, he sat in coaches' meetings while he was injured, but 
it only took a matter of time before it was like, well, he's not a third line guy. Let's move him up to the to the top two players on this team. And the best part about it is, is that you can afford to have him on that line because Stasny has been so good with Marsha Solon Smith. Like having Stasny, who is as smart as they come, center a line with a very good 200-foot guy in Smith and a sniper at any time in Marshall, having those three play as well as they have has allowed the luxury for DeBoer to go, hey, I can have the most dominant quote-unquote second line in in the playoff field if I want to. Now, obviously when you line them up, they're going to be the second line. I still think that they're going to be the top line. I label them as the top line each time in my previews. I label them as my top line just in general because I think your top line should be the line that you know is going to come through for you when it matters the most. And to me, that's why I thought the Stasny line was Stone and Pacioretty. That should have been the top line from the get-go. I understand the Carlson, Smith, Marshall, tandem and how good they've been since year one. But last year, with Carlson kind of falling off, Marshall kind of falling off, Smith kind of, eh, you know, it, it was time to kind of establish a new top line. This right now is your top line of Carlson, Stone, and Pacioretty because you have really, in theory, you have your top three players, your top three forwards on one line. And that is a dangerous concept to have. Yeah, you can roll them out as your second line if you want. Who wants to face that second line the way that they've been dominating play in these last few games? Even in the Minnesota game, when they moved Carlson up to that line, you know, halfway through the second period, they're already down, what, three, four, nothing. But that line, you could tell, was making an impact. Carlson was making great plays, wasn't scoring, that's fine. But Stone was setting him up, Pacioretty was setting him up, Carlson was setting up those guys. It's just, you understand how good a line can be when the ice just opens up for one player. It, it's almost like in basketball when you're spacing the floor because you have so many good shooters. It's like, for example, if you got Luka Doncic running the pick and roll, if he's on fire, obviously the defense is going to collapse and it's going to leave shooters open. Like if you have Seth Curry or Kristaps Porzingis on the, on the wing or on the corner, once you set that pick and roll and you know, Luka's like got 25, 10 and 10 through three quarters, you know, the defense is going to collapse in him. It's almost the same thing. If you got Carlson operating the center ice and you know how dangerous he is, but you cannot, you saw a little bit of in year one and year two, you saw teams kind of be a little bit more physical when it came with Carlson. So when teams were coming up and being physical with Carlson, he couldn't get the puck to Smith. He couldn't get the puck to Marshall because those guys really weren't at the top of their game either. They were struggling. But when you have Carlson, who's an elite playmaker, an elite 200-foot guy, and he's just a guy that has an an immense hockey IQ, and you put him with two really smart veterans and two guys who can really be lethal weapons at any given moment, that is going to make Carlson a more dynamic playmaker. That's going to make Stone even more of a threat to score, and that's going to make Pacioretty just camp out at his office all day. It's Again, it's only three games, and you're seeing little inklings of what this line can produce. And if this line can carry this into the playoffs, an entire 200-foot game, an entire array of playmaking, 
that is going to be such a thrill to watch. It is going to be something that is going to be a game changer for Vegas because if that line's clicking and if the Stasny line is clicking, you got that top six rolling at the right time. That that's a very tough top six to beat. And then you have to take into consideration what the third line is going to be because I I don't think <laughs> I do not think under any circumstance that we will be seeing Chandler Stevenson, Cody Eakin, and Cody Glass anywhere. Like I think that third line played okay today. I don't think it had the best game, but Glass in his first game in about a month and a half, um, I thought he played okay. Stevenson, I thought was kind of quiet. Eakin had his moments where it was like, okay, that was good. And then the obvious Cody Eakin moments where it was like, but that top six, that is huge to have. And if that, if that line is playing like that, that's going to take a lot of pressure off Stasny, Marshall, Saul, and Smith. And if they keep playing the smart kind of hockey that they've been playing for the last few weeks, that's another game changer. So I'm going to be very interested to watch, at least for the rest of this month, the rest of this homestand especially, what that line does against these top-tier teams. I want to see that how that line defends you know, you know, Kuznetsov and Ovechkin and all those guys. I want to see how they defend Kucherov and Stamkos. I want to see how they defend the Florida guys, Huberto, Barkov. I want to see how they do against that line because that's going to be the key we already know what they can do offensively. It's defensively how they're going to impact the game. And I always thought, whether with DeBoer or whether with Gallant, my thought was always you want to have one of them on each line because at least you know you can have one reliable guy being a very good sound defensive guy on both lines. And I think that is that I thought was going to be key. Now I'm seeing you put both of them together. It is a nightmare for opposing teams. And if these numbers that I just read off to you guys are any indication of what's to come, then we're going to be seeing this, this line could dominate in the playoffs, no matter who they line up against. It's going to be ridiculous to watch them going forward. So with that said, um, you know, like I said, this can be a very short episode. So let's, let's dive around the league, right? I mean, we had a lot of games today, a lot of the early games, I had a chance to watch the uh, the Red Wings and the Bruins. I, well, okay, I didn't really watch them. I was doing other stuff while I was playing in the background. But then all of a sudden I look up and David Pasternak scores another goal because Brad Marchand is just being ridiculous with the puck. Uh, Bruins won 4-1, to one, and that's no surprise there. Uh, the Predators with back-to-back wins over the Islanders and now over the Blues 4-3. to three. The Blues have lost four in a row. I'm not saying it's panic time for the defending champs, but I... It, they're they're not looking good right now. The Blues just not getting the goaltending they need. They're not playing well in the blue in the blue line. They're not playing well in the forward core. I mean, they scored three times in the second, but they obviously couldn't get the go ahead goal. So, Blues not looking good right now. The Central race is tightening up because the Dallas Stars won four to three in Montreal, came back from three nothing down to win in Montreal, and they are now, I believe, one point back of St. Louis. For first place? Yes. The Dallas Stars are at 73 points, one point back of the Blues. And with Colorado losing to the Kings today in the Stadium Series game, the Dallas Stars are second in the Central Division. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. You do not, under any circumstance, want to go to Dallas with them at home for four games. I'm just saying you do not want to do that. 
Uh, the Sharks beat the Wild 2-0 in the first game since the Wild fired Bruce Boudreaux. That's just something we didn't really get a chance to talk about. Uh, the eighth coaching change. The eighth coaching change this season in the National Hockey League. Can you believe that? Bruce Boudreaux gets canned with the Wild three points out of a playoff spot. I don't understand what is with these teams firing coaches when they're in a playoff positioning. I just don't get it. I really do not get it. And I don't think we'll ever get it. But the Wild get blanked by the Sharks, who, by the way, uh, have lost Eric Carlson for the year due to thumb surgery. The bad year continues to get even worse for the San Jose Sharks. The Maple Leafs beat the Senators 4-2. to uh, We touched on it earlier. The Kings beat the Avalanche 3-1. to Tyler Toffoli with a hat trick, the first hat trick in a stadium series or an outdoor game, I believe. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks helping the Golden Knights in terms of the teams that are uh, chasing the Golden Knights put a whooping on the Calgary Flames 8-4. to And then, as we mentioned, the Coyotes, a 3-1 to victory over the Capitals. No goals for Alexander Ovechkin. Will that change Monday is the big question. Will Ovechkin get to 700 goals on Monday in the same barn that he hoisted the Stanley Cup? We will find out on Monday. Speaking of Monday, here is the plan for Monday. Plan is for Monday because I will be at the arena. It's an early game. It's a 3 o'clock game on Monday. My plan is to have a podcast um, after the game, it's going to be a little bit later cause I'll be on deadline. So I have to make sure I have that covered. I will either bring the microphone with me and I will do the podcast at the arena and I will stay very late at the arena or I will come home and I will do the podcast at home, which will be going up. Then I would say it would be about a nine o'clock, 10 o'clock upload. So that'll at least carry everyone over into Tuesday but that is the plan. There will be a post-game pod after Monday, and either we will be talking about one of a plethora of things. Either the Golden Knights will put, go three for three in Murderer's Row, which would be beyond all expectations. They will either do that. Ovechkin will either get 700 goals or the Capitals will win. Maybe he gets 700 goals and the Capitals lose. That would be an ideal situation, I think, for the Golden Knights as well. But in any event, this is going to be a big game for Vegas. I know the Capitals have been struggling. They're going to be motivated, though, to play in that building. They've got a lot of memories in that building. But the Golden Knights tend to play Washington very well in their barn. They have not, outside of the Stanley Cup final, they have not beaten Vegas in the regular season in Vegas. So they've got their number a little bit, at least in the regular season. They still have the, they still have the hardware and the trophy to uh, to say otherwise, but the Golden Knights big game on Monday against the Washington Capitals. Can they go three for three in Murderers Row? We'll talk about it again on Monday. So that'll do it for me, guys. Thank you for listening, for downloading, sharing, subscribing, all of that jazz. All of it is greatly appreciated, and uh, I will catch you guys on Monday for the post game pod against the Capitals. So. Until then, I am Danny Webster. This has been Locked On Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I will see you guys on Monday. Have a good weekend.
Thank you.